Good morning. Today we are in Matthew chapter 6, and we are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we read through this today, I really want, I want to really drive home that this is not about laws, that this isn't a bunch of rules, this isn't Jesus' new set of rules that are for his kingdom that's different than the kingdom of God that was started by Moses. Um, it's the same thing. And Jesus is expressing this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And this is what the Christian life looks like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you live the Christian life. So he is continuing in Matthew chapter 6 with this um, notion of what you do in secret. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, for people in Jesus' day, giving money and praying were some of the most public things that they did. Um, the, the money donation place spot at the temple were these big metal jars, these big metal containers, and the Pharisees were known for blowing trumpets and sounding the alarm that they were giving, and then they would throw coins and uh, throw these coins into these metal pans, and it would clang, 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 and make all this racket. So it was really obvious to people that they were giving. And um, same thing with prayers. They would, they would sound a trumpet to get everybody's attention, and then they would stand in a public place and pray. Uh, but they would pray not interceding. They would, you know, like Jesus says in that one parable, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. Um, they, weren't, they weren't the most humble prayers all the time. Well, Jesus says they get their reward. They get their reward in attention. And they get their reward in honor from other people. And he's saying, don't try to do stuff that you get honor from other people. Don't do it that you get attention. Do it to interact with God. Do it to interact with the Lord that loves you and cares about you. He, he wants to be close to you through conversation and through interaction. And... Um, if you're worried about your how you look when you do it and your production of it, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Now, I am fully aware that I do things for looks, right? Um, like right now, I'm wearing my white dress shirt, but I'm wearing shorts because I'm in the park <laughs> and it's summer. Um, there's a deeper, there's a deeper thing, right? Don't just don't just condemn yourself and don't let the devil condemn you when you do something um, for show, when you do it for looks, and you're doing it for looks on purpose. Does that make sense? It's just a matter of don't fool yourself that what you're trying to do, you think you're holy, but you really are doing it for looks. Um, know, know your heart on that and search yourself with depth on that. So giving and praying are really heart things, right? Those 
gets you down deep to your core. And Jesus is going to get down deep to our core even more in some of this stuff. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may see, be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's saying it's about the relationship, right? It's about the interaction between you and the Lord. It's not about your public show. And um, don't try to get rewarded by men that are so impressed at how religious you are. Go pray in secret. And the Lord will answer you. Did you catch that? Uh, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's another one the gospel says he'll reward you in secret. And that is really the best of all ways, right? Um, this also brings to mind just how good and important it is to have a prayer time that is a straight up dedicated secret prayer time. Where, uh, you know, I can... I can pray while I drive to work. I can pray while I'm eating my breakfast. Um, I can pray while I'm taking a shower. And that's all good and, and not discounting that. But if the only kind of prayer life you have is a prayer life of praying while you blank, then are you really ever just praying? And so just to encourage y'all, um, set apart some time where the TV is off, the phone is put away, the newspaper is folded up, um, that you're not going to get interrupted and go someplace secret for real. Go someplace where it's not going to be shown and then don't tell anybody you did it and pray. And, um, it's so good. I mean, those of you that do that, you're, you're probably thinking right now, yes, it is so good. I want to do it more, right? Um, those, those kinds of secret prayer times that are just dedicated prayer times are such a good, close time with the Lord that um, it's, it's just it's irreplaceable. Um, you know, there's a thing I, I just noticed about myself was the whole taking your hat off when you pray. And I'm not getting into a law or anything. Um, but it's a custom, it's a tradition, take your hat off when you go in a building. I mean, it's kind of old-fashioned, right? Take your hat off when you go in a building, take your hat off when you pray. And uh, so we have a farm stand, and we open our farm stand every Saturday morning with big open prayer, and we pray for anybody that's there, what do they want to pray for, and we praise the Lord together. Now we're out in public, we're on a street corner, but we're doing it because we're all together and we are exalting God together. Does that make sense? We're not doing it for show. Um, but I take my hat off and I realize that that is a really humiliating thing because, I mean, maybe not now with my quarantine haircut, but usually I got nasty, crazy hat head from harvesting for two hours. And um, it's a way for me to humble myself before the Lord when I pray. And... I just share that just as a little exercise of something I do and, and how that speaks to me. Everybody's got their own way, but gosh, the value of humbling yourself on the outside um, to go to God on the inside, that they really do affect each other. They really do go together. And uh, 
and make for a better prayer time. So he gives more instruction on prayer. Verse 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Look at how relational this is. Look at how much this is all Jesus trying to convey that God, your Father, loves you and wants to listen to you and that he cares about what you're asking. You don't have to go on and on. Uh, he says like the Gentiles did. The gen there, were, there were Gentile people that would pray to various gods and they didn't know which god they should pray to. And so they would have these written out long lists of prayers. And if you want this, then pray to this god and pray this prayer. But maybe what I really want is this, so I'm going to pray to this god and pray this prayer. And they would go and just to cover all their bases, let's just make sure we pray to every god we can um, to get what we want and to make sure we say the right words to get the right God to listen to us. This is really important in this context because notice the, the gist of what Jesus is saying is don't think that just by saying all the right words, you're gonna make God listen to you. Don't think that if you say a whole bunch of words and you say the right words the right number of times, that that will make God listen to you. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so in that context of don't worry about being able to say the right words, don't worry about saying them how many times you have to say them to get it right, to get God to give you what you want. He knows you, he loves you, he knows what you need before you ask him. He really wants to give it to you. Hold all that. He says, here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And now you could probably repeat the rest of it from memory, right? Because what have we done? We've memorized it so that we can pray it a whole lot so that we can get God to do what we want him to do. Ah, have mercy on us, Lord. We're doing the very thing. We've done the very thing with the Lord's prayer that in the context, the Lord told us not to do. Um, and so we should never use the Lord's prayer as a, a, magic, um, a magic recitation or incantation. That's the word I want. The Lord's prayer is not a magic incantation to pray exactly right so that you get what you want from God. The Lord's Prayer is not a big list of words for you to know how to say what's the right thing to say to God for God to give you what you want. Gosh, that's right. It's right there in the context. Don't pray. Don't carry on with a whole bunch of words thinking that you'll be heard. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's okay to ask for it wrong. He knows what you need. It's okay to... Uh, not have the right words to say when you pray to God. I, I used to tell guys at the rescue mission, God doesn't get mad at you when you say cuss words while you pray. Because he would rather you be honest with him and pray from your heart and soul 
than to pray someone else's written down prayer that you don't care about and you don't connect with. If it's not sincere from your heart, uh, in Isaiah, remember, in Jeremiah, it makes God mad. And uh, Jesus is saying right here, don't think that just because you say the right words, God will hear you. God already knows what you need. And he is he loves to just hear from you. He loves to interact with you, not just hear you say the right incantation. Now, is the Lord's Prayer bad? Should we not ever say it again? No way. No way. It's awesome. Um, it's an awesome way for us to refocus you know what? These are the things that when we pray, we should pray for these things. These are the attitudes that we should have when we pray. That God is holy. That we want his kingdom to come. That we want people to live in harmony with him right now on earth, just like they do in heaven. We, we need him every day to give us what we need. And we need his forgiveness and we need his power working in us to forgive other people. And we don't, we want to acknowledge with him that we don't want to intentionally go into evil. We don't want to intentionally walk into an evil situation, but we desire to be delivered from those things. We don't want bad, we want good, we want him. And so it's awesome. To know the Lord's Prayer and to know as we pray it, these are the things that we want to we want to let the Lord shape our heart to aim towards Him to live this way, right? Dallas Willard in a book called The Divine Conspiracy, he has this really good uh, kind of paraphrase, kind of interpretation of the Lord's Prayer, and it's just I'll just read. This is from The Divine Conspiracy. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today and forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't push us through, put us through trials but, but deliver us from everything bad because you are the one in charge. You have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. And then he adds, just the way we want it is not a bad paraphrase for amen. What is needed at the end of this great prayer is a ringing affirmation of the goodness of God and God's world. If your nerves can take it, you might occasionally try Whoopee! I imagine God himself will not mind. So it the Lord's prayer, he is he I I go with him a lot that the Lord's prayer is a, a proclamation of the truth of God's interaction with us and and what our right relationship with him is. And by the time you get to the end of that, you want to Yeah uh, beyond just an amen. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yeah! Right? So he, Jesus teaches, teaches the disciples and teaches everybody how to pray. He gives that list. And then he gives a commentary. And it's really wild. It's like 
The most important part of the prayer that God, that Jesus wanted us to understand wasn't that we need to pray for bread every day. And it wasn't that God is in heaven and we want his will to be done. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't give commentary on any of that. The commentary he gives is if you, for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And all of a sudden, Jesus has gone from, uh, let your righteous righteousness be in secret. Don't try to seek righteousness from other people or from attention. And then all of a sudden, it's pray in secret and give in secret. And now Jesus in his brilliance has turned it to forgiveness. You need to forgive. Jesus, God has forgiven you so many things. God has forgiven you so many things you can pass on that forgiveness to other people. You can share in it. It, it is a, an activity. Your activity of forgiveness is showing God's activity of forgiveness in your life. And if you really believe in it. Isn't that wild? How much of all of that, if you read it all together in context with each other, is about his relationship with us and about his care for us and with us that it's not about rules, it's not about a list of laws, it's, gosh, God really wants to interact. Uh, he wants to interact with us deeply and for us to really absorb and live out his forgiveness in us. He goes right back into the secrecy and money thing. When you fast, don't look gloomy. Um, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so your fasting will not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It was the custom then to fast every Tuesday and Thursday. And, uh, and every Tuesday and Thursday, the, you would know who was religious, because they'd be going around, moaning, groaning, I'm fasting and being obnoxious, letting everybody know that they were fasting, right? Um, I have experienced this when I lived in a culture and people would fast all day. And all they did all day long was complain about their fasting. And there wasn't any secret about it at all. And, uh, um, and then people that were really religious, uh, their work suffered, their school suffered. And you would talk to them about why is your work and school suffering so bad? And it was because they were fasting. And, and all of a sudden, fasting became the bad guy. Does that make sense? Um, fasting became the thing that I'm against in their tone and their conversation. Um, when you give up, if you give up something for Lent or you fast from something, don't complain about your fast. The fast is a wonderful, awesome thing, right? Uh, fasting, if it's done right, is a joy and a delight and a pleasure. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but if fasting is working on your soul the way it was originally intended, it's the most wonderful delight to your soul ever. And so any kind of fasting that involves me complaining about what I'm fasting from or being miserable or drawing attention to myself, um, I might as well just fall into hedonism because as far as my offering to God, it's, it's not doing anything. It's, it's, uh, yeah.
worthless. Notice also Jesus doesn't say whether you should fast or whether you shouldn't. He doesn't care. You're not going to earn anything with him, right? Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Romans. Um, you're not going to earn anything with God by your righteous acts. But if you do stuff in secret, God's going to do stuff in secret. God's going to provide for you. He's going to teach you, instruct you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to console you. And all of that might just happen inside and not be visible. Uh, I argue that it would be visible because you're going to live that out, right? But um, I would so much rather have God work all that internal stuff on me than uh, have some show, show of righteousness, right? So the whole next section in your Bible, it might be broken up into different topics, and that's a bummer if it is. Uh, those verses weren't put in there until the 1500s. The, the, before that, it was just all text. It was all one big thought. And it's really good to read it that way because this whole next section is about secrecy and greed and money. He says, don't, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Okay, what's this talking about? Because it, it's in the context of money, right? It goes on. Don't be anxious about your life. Oh, wait. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And some translations get it right, and they say God and mammon, and it'll be capitalized. Okay, hold on. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear, the food you're going to eat. He skips down, oh, you have little faith. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. What will we wear? What will we eat? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So what this is all about uh, God versus mammon. Mammon was, is the only, um, the only false God, false spirit. I don't even want to say false. The only God in rebellion to the living God Yahweh, that's called by name, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, you've got Baal, and you've got Ashtaroth, and, and some of those. Jesus, the only one he names is Mammon, and Mammon is personified, um, it's, it's wrapped up by greed, wealth, oppression, money, um, all of the things all of the evil things about people trying to get money and wealth and power, uh, which is all, I mean, whatever power it is, it's about money, right? That's what mammon is. And so he's saying you can't serve God and money. You, you can't do that. But when, when we lay up for ourselves treasure on earth, when we store up stuff, when we hoard things for our own benefit and our own power, that's when we're serving mammon. That's when we're serving this God of wealth and God of money. Um, and you can't serve them both. So this doesn't mean I'm going to give all my money to the church and that's going to 
that's going to cleanse me of it, right? I can still be greedy. I can be greedy and poor. I can be greedy and be rich. Um, it's about your heart. It's about your heart and soul. Uh, it's about, is God going to take care of me? And that's why Jesus surrounds all this with this context of don't worry about your life, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. The Lord knows what you need and he'll provide and he'll take care of it. Uh, it's the worry about those things where we really start to worship money, right? Where we really start to hold it, withhold it from other people that need it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to give this away to you because then you're going to come back every day asking me for it. And what if I run out? What if I don't have enough for me? It's, it's, it's deep and it's hard, right? That's why you, you can't turn this stuff into a law. You can't turn this stuff into, uh, you know, I'm going to give this percent of my money to the church. I'm going to give this percent of my money to a charity and all the rest is mine. Man, I mean, that's fine, but, but don't judge somebody else because they don't follow your law, right? Whatever helps you get your heart and soul led by Jesus is what matters in this stuff. Um, if you're keeping it in secret, if you're keeping it, there, there are some people I know that are ridiculously rich and in secret, they give away a ton of their money. Um, I, I had a conversation one time and, and I told a guy about some, some ministry work and he just said, that sounds so awesome. I'm going to open up my wallet right now and give you all the money in it. And, uh, and he knew that he had, he knew roughly what he had in there, right? And then he said, if only there was a nonprofit I could give to, I would give a lot more. And there was. And so I told him that. And he said, you understand, you can't tell anybody about this, right? And he made me keep quiet. Um, I was moved because I, I knew how much he gave and I couldn't believe he gave that much. Right. Um, but that was only between him and me. There, there was another time where a person gave money to a thing and they said, this is actually not from me. Somebody gave me this money to give to your thing because they didn't want you to know who was giving the money because there would be a, a relationship awkwardness. And so that was totally, the left hand didn't know what the right hand was. Uh, to this day, I don't know uh, who gave that money. And so th there are creative ways that you can, you can give to things and nobody would know. You can give in secret. There are ways that you can, you can realize you're hoarding up wealth and you can get rid of that wealth in secret. And it's all about treasure, right? It's all about, do I desire Jesus more than anything else? Is he my love? Is he the source of my life? Well, I love at the end, he says, Oh, you have little faith. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. When he says the Gentiles seek after these things, um, by Gentiles, he means people that don't believe in God, the pagans, the, the unbelievers, and that is such a good check of, am I chasing after wealth like somebody that doesn't believe Jesus died for their sins? Am I chasing after power 
like somebody that gets their identity from power or am I chasing, am I getting my identity of who I am from Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me? All of a sudden, if I draw my identity from Christ who loved me and gave himself for me, I don't have the need to show off with money anymore. I don't have the need to show off with my prayers on the street corner anymore. You see how all this is in the same context? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we seek it in our secret prayer, if we seek the kingdom of God in our secret fasting, and I'm not talking about just not eating, uh, maybe there's something that secretly I need to go without because it will help me understand God better or get to know him better. I have a buddy that was doing missions to Muslim people and people that are Muslim don't eat pork and they disrespect people that eat pork. And so for years before he went into that mission work, he didn't eat pork so that when he was having a religious discussion and somebody was going to discredit him, oh, you eat pork, I don't have to listen to you, they would ask him, have you ever had pork? And he could say, I haven't had pork in over 15 years. And that would impress them. He was fasting from pork in secret. I didn't know this until years later, so that he could be honest when he was confronted by somebody. What? That was how he was seeking the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's righteousness. If I'm seeking for God to say that I'm right, I don't have to get my righteousness from anybody else. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm obnoxious. It doesn't mean I tell people, you know, I don't need your righteousness or I don't care what you think about me. Um, that that's the wrong sentiment, right? That's just pride. That's arrogance. That's self-idolatry. But if I really um, care about what people think of me because I care about Jesus and I care about God and I care about them made in the image of God, all of a sudden seeking his kingdom first and getting my righteousness from him takes a whole, on, whole different look, right? And then he ends, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, there, there is an unknown future ahead of us, right? But there are things that I can do today, right now, that are real, tangible, effective, practical things that can help the kingdom of God. And... Uh, I should do them, right? If you know, you know what? There's this thing, there's that thing that's really going to help the kingdom of God today. Do it. Do it. And uh, if you are worried about tomorrow, but what if I don't have enough money to blank? That's where, you know what? Um, there's a lot of us that have never experienced not having enough or not having anything um you know sullivan's we have come close we've been in some pretty tough spots before um 
and and you know what I consider a tough spot is nowhere close to someone else's tough spot right and uh, but as far as working on my soul the Lord has always come through for us and provided exceedingly abundantly more than we could have ever imagined what we needed and that just taught us that much more that the Lord knows what you need every day before you ask for it gosh so do you see all this fits together um, it even goes back to Matthew 5 love your enemies love your enemies and do good to them because God knows what you need and he's gonna give you what you need every day even if he gives it in secret it goes back further than that right um, so I just read the whole Sermon on the Mount together in context and look at how much of this stuff right here in the middle isn't so much about money as it's about the thing that you treasure most in your soul and a lot of people treasure money the most in their soul whether we realize it or not and uh, so that's why that's why this section looks like it's about money just like last week it looked about like it was about divorce and it looked like it was about revenge but it was about loving God and finding your full identity in him God bless you guys have a great day.